0: Friends, as we come to the end of this sermon series in 1 Corinthians, I think it's appropriate for us to reflect upon and remember Paul's great desire for this congregation. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2 For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Beloved, we should desire this for ourselves. It is this word, this gospel, this message of the cross that ought to shape a congregation it ought to inform how we think about our identity and our worship it is this gospel and trust in this gospel alone that produces by the spirit the fruit of christian love and it is this love this peculiar love that compels and enables us to not only overcome sin but also to abound in the work of the Lord for His glory. So here's my one line summary of today's passage. Christian love produced by the resurrection power of the Spirit is made visible in the life of a congregation in our acts of obedience as we wait for Jesus' return. I'll say that again. Christian love produced by the resurrection power of the Spirit is made visible in the life of a congregation in our acts of obedience as we wait for Jesus's return. This is what we will see in this final chapter of 1 Corinthians. So please turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 1 to 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 24. Let's ask the Lord for his help as we approach his word. Let's pray. Father, we confess with great joy that we have been made alive, we have been ransomed, and set free by the cross of Christ. And through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Help us, O Lord, to be watchful, and stand firm in the faith, and abound in works of love. So strengthen us now, Father, as we hear your word, so that your children may abound in every good work. Renew our minds and refresh our spirits that we may serve one another through love. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Two months ago, Telina Kupari, who lives in Kenilworth, New Jersey, received a phone call from the Guinness World Records, telling her that she was now the holder for the record of the largest collection of pizza-related items. Pizza-related items. So, Telina's collection of 669 items includes pizza boxes, pizza stickers, pizza books, pizza towels, pizza clothing items, pizza toys, and even pizza kitchen utensils. Telina, who is lovingly called the pizza girl, by the locals, told one news outlet that her love for pizza started at a very young age. This is what she said. We ate pizza so much in my house growing up that I remember giving the delivery man, the pizza delivery man, a Christmas present every year. When her son was born last July, he was welcomed into a hospital room arrayed with, you guessed it, pizza themed decor. Helena has over 230 books on pizzas and regularly hosts pizza-themed events and games in her neighborhood. In the future, she hopes to open a pizza museum in her garage. <laughs> and she refers to her growing collection of pizza-related items, get this, as a labor of love. Now, while this may sound you know, like a strange and absurd pursuit to many of us. I think what is most notable in the story is that this woman's love for pizza manifested itself in how she lived her life. It affected how she spent her money, spent her time, it affected her diet, the kind of people she hung out with. She even spent time sharing that love with others, including her own family. You know, that love for pizzas caused her to work very hard now in the same way Paul teaches us in this chapter that when we come to experience the covenant keeping love of God in Christ as supremely demonstrated for us on the cross when we participate in the resurrection life of Christ as members of his body that love that love will be made visible it will be reflected. It will be manifested in the way we plan, in the way that we use our money, in the way that we speak to one another, in the way that we relate to one another, care for one another, treat one another. It will be reflected in our concerns, our pursuits, our prayers, and even our travel plans. Christian faith works, it labors in love, it is motivated by a love for Christ. Do you remember how in chapter 15, Paul taught us that resurrection hope ought to empower us to abound in the work of the Lord? Well, what we have here in chapter 16 are many examples of such work, both in Paul's life and the lives of others. And we will learn that all of this work, all of these labors are to be done in love. This is Paul's final exhortation to the Corinthians in this letter. So look at verse 14 of chapter 16. Let all that you do be done in love. Let it be the outflow, the outworking of a heart that is trusting in the cross, trusting in his saving, sanctifying love for us. After all, he has already told us in chapter 13 that it doesn't matter how spiritual a task might look like. If it's not done in love, it amounts to nothing. And the Lord is not pleased with such labors. It doesn't glorify him but Christian love in action builds up the body it builds up the congregation we saw that in chapter 8 it builds up the body and glorifies God because it requires you to trust to put your faith in the gospel of Christ's saving love but when you put your trust elsewhere in the wisdom of the world in the values of surrounding culture, it will result in the works, not of the Lord, but of the flesh. Now when you look at this passage, Paul seems to be mainly answering two questions. Uh, We know this because of that phrase, now concerning. Look at the text, you see it in verse 1, now concerning, you see it in verse 12. Uh, This appears in many other places in the letter, and it always signals a response to a question that the Corinthians had previously asked him. So these two questions prompt Paul's response, but in the process of answering these questions, he gives us examples of what faithful, loving, hope-filled Christian ministry looks like. So if you're a member of the body of Christ, if you are a saint, if you have tasted of the saving grace of God, if you believe in the message of the cross, if your faith is not in the wisdom of men but in the power of God, if you are a spiritual person, if you're a Christian, if you're looking to the Word, if you've put on the mind of Christ, if you're seeking to glorify God with your body, if you want to build up the church with your spiritual gifts and do it all in a loving and orderly way. Uh, If you are to work in this way, knowing that because of the hope of the resurrection, none of your labors will be in vain. Then, what should those loving labors look like? Just very practically. What are some ways a congregation can abound in the work of the Lord because of their love for the Lord and His church? What does that look like? Well, it looks like these seven things. Seven things. Number one, give generously. Give generously. Look at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. The word that is translated as collection here means the collection of money. It seems like Paul had mentioned this to the Corinthian church. At an earlier time, he had requested the congregation to uh, contribute financially to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, We know he's talking about Jerusalem because look down at verse 3. It says Jerusalem. That's where this money is supposed to go. But it seems like they had questions about this. Well, Paul, how do we do this? Uh, Who's going to collect this? Who's going to take it? Uh, How can we make sure it will reach the saints at Jerusalem? Remember, in in those days, you couldn't just do a bank transfer. Uh, Somebody needed to physically carry the money, lots of coins. It would have involved a long journey, perhaps months on land or sea or a combination of both. Uh, You could be robbed or if you had an unreliable uh, courier, he could just run away, abscond with the money. So how does Paul respond? What's the plan? He says, do what I told the churches in Galatia to do. You know, this is typical of Paul in, in this letter, 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. This is my rule in all the churches. Uh, what you are to do or about to do is what every other church does, he says. Now, why Jerusalem? Now, when you read Acts 20, Acts 11, 29, we are told that the prophet Agabus predicted a famine, and so the church at Antioch decided to send money for the church in Jerusalem through ba- Paul and Barnabas. And once paul got to jerusalem he defended the gospel that he had been preaching and the apostles gave him the right hand of fellowship that's acts 15 and when paul recollects this incident in galatians 2 when he thinks about that he he mentions that the apostles at jerusalem had only one request remember the poor meaning the poor believers at the church at jerusalem and so paul was Eager to do that, he would raise awareness of that need everywhere he went. Now we don't know if the church at Jerusalem had a chronic economic problem because of the famine, or perhaps it was largely composed of poor people, or maybe it was a combination of things. Either way, this practice reflects how different local churches cared for one another. How Gentile churches expressed their love towards the church in Jerusalem, That's where the gospel spread far and wide. Very often we think about um, mother churches supporting daughter churches, the churches that they planted. You know, here we have an example of sort of wealthy daughter churches supporting the, the poor mother church from where believers went out and spread the gospel. Beloved, this is how churches historically have abounded in the work of the Lord. They generously gave their money to other gospel-preaching churches in need, and they saw it as a privilege, as a labor of love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about how the churches in Macedonia gave even out of their poverty. And they gave with great joy, we are told, willingly and generously. Brothers and sisters, might I remind you that our church, Grace Church especially, has been the recipient of, of such kind of love shown to us by other churches we have been financially sustained not only by the giving of our members but also by the cheerful regular and generous giving of many partner churches both locally and internationally so think about the evangelical church of dubai or redeemer abilene or southside baptist church in abilene christ fellowship church in big spring hawcliffe street baptist church Twine home baptist church many brothers and sisters around the world Consider it a joy and privilege to financially support and pray for our ministry here in Sharjah. This evidence of grace in the lives of others should not cause us to be slack in our own giving, but it should encourage us to give even more. Beloved, the New Testament is clear that not only are the members of a congregation supposed to give first and foremost, cheerfully and sacrificially to their own church for the support of the ministry, but we are also called to care for the needs of missionaries and other like-minded congregations when opportunity arises and according to our ability. You know, we have several godly models of churches, both in Scripture and all around us, to imitate. Friends, generous giving is the mark of a congregation that understands the generous grace of God. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich, spiritually rich. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that the God who has generously given us life, breath, and everything, even when we have rejected his goodness and love, yet again, is gracious to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we see this undeserving love displayed for us on the cross as the Son of God made flesh, offers His life as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of all those who would repent and believe on Him. He paid the penalty for our sins in His death so that self-centered people like us could be transformed by his resurrection power into generous givers. You see, we can now sacrificially give because his love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because we have been made alive and have been given eyes to see, we have come to understand that our treasure, our inheritance is in the heavenly new earth. We don't have to hold on tightly to all our perishable earthly goods, but we can share them and give them away freely in love. Because of the cross, we can abound in this work of giving. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to regularly review the financial update that goes out with the weekly grace email. Look at that and then ask yourself if you are giving faithfully generously and sacrificially to the work of ministry in our church. You know, if you, if you saw this week's email, you would know this. Right now, out of the 42,000 dirhams required for the month of October, we've received only 8,700. So this would be a good time to, to assess your giving. Are you abounding in this grace also? Have you been growing in this grace over the years? Or do you do the bare minimum? You know, if you want to know how you can work through your budget in order to lovingly prioritize your church, speak to one of your pastors. If you want to learn more about faithful giving, ask one of our welcome team members for a booklet on Christian giving, and they will be happy to supply you with that material. You know, the more our church is well supplied, the more we can support missionaries, like our brother Dennis Boris in Maranatha Church in Kazakhstan, who we prayed for this morning. We can we can support him the more we receive the more we can set aside for church planting efforts in the future now notice how this collection was to be taken look at the text verse 2 on the first day of every week each of you is to put aside something is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when i come beloved loving labor requires planning It requires intentionality. And note that this is an act of worship. It's a response to the gospel of grace. Notice when this is to be done, on the first day of the week. This is the day when churches would gather for worship. It was a Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. Now in those days, Sunday would have been a regular working day. And so churches would have met either early in the morning or in the evening after people returned from work. And the text tells us that people were to give what they had intentionally and purposefully saved or set aside. See, Paul wasn't planning on arriving in Corinth and then conducting some sort of fundraising campaign. No, he wanted their giving to be done over a period of time so that there would be no collecting when he came. This setting aside was to be done when the church would gather for corporate worship and people were to give as they prospered according to their means this means that you give in proportion to the wealth that the lord has blessed you with now when people think of giving they usually think of the old testament tithe a tithe is a tenth this was required under the mosaic covenant the people were to give a tenth of all that they had and the tithe went to towards the upkeep of the tabernacle or the temple and the priests It it was sort of a, think of it as as a compulsory tax. Actually, there were various kinds of tithes, if you read the Old Testament carefully. And if you would add them all up, they would actually amount to more than 10%. Somewhere in the range of 20 to 30%. Now, tithing was part of the Old Covenant with Israel, which is why if you did not tithe, people suffered covenant curses. This is why the Lord rebukes His people in Malachi 3. But friends, the Old Covenant is no longer binding on us. And the era of the law in redemptive history has come to to an end with the coming of Christ. Christ has fulfilled the law and if we are in Christ and if we have his spirit, the law is fulfilled in us as we love one another. That's the law of Christ. Paul says love is the fulfilling of the law, Romans 13 verse 10. And that means that Christians are not required to tithe, just as you are not required. to offer animal sacrifices just as you are not required to be circumcised but as the people of God under the new covenant here is what we are called to do this is what we're called to do trust in the gospel hope in the promises and love well and this is what love looks like cheerful sacrificial and generous giving cheerful sacrificial and generous giving now for most of us that might end up looking like a tenth of our income. But for some of us, giving even 15% may not feel like self-denial or a sacrifice. No, you, you can give more in that case. There's no figure that you must give. Rather, you must examine your heart, take the counsel of others, tear down your idols, deny yourself, and faithfully and lovingly give. Take a look at how our budget is doing. And out of our love for Christ and His people, give. Plan to give. Be intentional. Don't just think about giving when the offering bag comes along. But plan when your salary hits the account. Plan ahead when you make your monthly or yearly budget. Now, irrespective of what the Lord has given you, irrespective of what you earn, we are to give sacrificially and generously. And this means that you ought to, with the heart of gratitude, Joyfully deny yourselves of the things that you can legitimately spend and enjoy on and give to the work of ministry in this congregation. Brothers and sisters, this is a work of grace. We can't do this in our own strength. This is why we must hear the word read when we gather in corporate worship. We must be reminded of the gospel in song and then give as an act of worship. Not only do we give as an act of love, but it's also a loving work. It's also a loving work to to ensure, to make sure as far as possible that our money is received and used well. In our case, we want to ensure that we have categories in our budget so that our missionaries receive what we intend for them to receive, that our pastors are paid well, that we have allotted sufficient funds to, to pay rent for this place. Now for the Corinthians, it meant making sure that their funds physically reached Jerusalem. And so Paul suggests to the Corinthians how they could lovingly work towards this goal. Look at verses three and four. He says, when I arrive, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Notice that Paul doesn't dictate to them what they should do, although as an apostle he could have. Rather, he wants them to take ownership of this work as their labor of love towards the church in Jerusalem. This is your gift, he says. So find trustworthy people, write letters of recommendation attesting to their character, and then send it along with them so so that people in Jerusalem know that you trust these men, so that they don't have to worry about whether the, the amount that you sent is actually the amount they received. Since no one knows these men in Jerusalem, I would be happy to go with them if you like, says Paul. People in Jerusalem recognize me, they know me, so if you want me to go, I'd be happy to assist you in this labor of love. Beloved, those who abound in the Lord's work ought to be eager and willing to assist others who are involved in the Lord's work as well. And this brings us to our second point. Here's another way a congregation can abound in the work of the Lord because of their love for the Lord. Point number two, work hard at building and restoring relationships in the congregation. Work hard at building and restoring relationships in the congregation. Look at verses 5 to 7. Paul writes, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. Now remember that throughout this letter, we get the sense that all was not well between the Corinthians and Paul. People were divided over their leaders, including Paul and Apollos, and several times in the letter he calls the people who were responsible for these factions arrogant. It's 1 Corinthians 4.18. There were those who were displaying shameful behavior, 1 Corinthians 6, 5. There were some who were hostile towards him and opposed his leadership. And then there were others of whom he said had no knowledge of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And yet despite all of this, Paul loved this local church. He gave thanks to God for them, chapter 1, verse 4. And he saw himself as their spiritual father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, Chapter 4 verse 15, in light of all the questions and all the doctrinal confusion and immorality that was going on, despite the fact that he had just written this letter, Paul hoped to see them face to face and spend time with this congregation to exhort and teach, rebuke and correct. Beloved, loving people takes time and effort takes time and effort we know from this letter that he was planning to send Timothy ahead of him to teach them of his ways in Christ chapter 4 verse 17 now if we read 2nd Corinthians we come to learn that by the time Paul got to Macedonia Timothy brought back news that things were beyond his ability to handle and so Paul had to make an urgent visit ahead of schedule a visit that he calls a painful visit 2nd Corinthians 2.1 and during that visit, several self-appointed leaders attacked him in deeply insulting ways, and so Paul left, and yet he did not forget them. He wrote them a tearful or a severe letter out of great distress, 2 Corinthians 2.4. We don't have that letter. It's been lost to us. But we are told it was delivered by Titus, who was probably more forceful than Timothy. However, this time, things began to slightly improve spiritually speaking. And so Titus brought back better news to Paul. And then Paul in response wrote the fourth letter, uh, what we have as Second Corinthians. Friends, the reason I reconstruct this sequence for you is to show you the heart of a man who has experienced the power of the cross. He loved these people despite how they treated him. Think of how many months of travel and danger he had to face and endure to spend time with the very people who were challenging his apostleship. Why does he do that? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. Love bears all things. It is tenacious. It doesn't easily quit on people. Beloved, if you have understood the message of the cross in this letter, Labor in love, work hard at getting to know one another, speaking the truth to one another, having uncomfortable conversations with one another, and reconcile with one another when you sin against someone or are sinned against. If Paul was willing to cross land and seas, risk his health, his life, won't you drive down to Al-Nada? Or Al-Khan. Or to another member's workplace. To pray with them. Perhaps give up an entire evening to counsel them about their marriage or parenting. You know, I want you to notice two things concerning Paul's labors here. One, his ministry to them does not relieve them of their ministry to him. Did you see that? Verse 6, he says in verse 6 that his stay would give them an opportunity to help him on his journey wherever he would decide to go. You know, this help would have included supplying Paul with money and food, perhaps even companions for the mission. Friends, I think the principle that we can learn here is that even though the Corinthians had much to repent of, much to learn from Paul's visit, we nevertheless continue to have an obligation of love towards others even in the midst of our own spiritual growth. We do not wait to have everything figured out in order to be obedient and lovingly serve the Lord. We wait and see. We look for the Lord's hand of providence and when opportunities arrive we obediently serve. Here's the second thing I want you to note About Paul's labors. Note how we must acknowledge that all our labors ought to be subject to God's good and sovereign will. Even as Paul announces his travel plans, his proposed stay, in humility he subjects himself to the Lord's good pleasure. He says in verse 7, if the Lord permits. Do you see that? Friends, those who believe in the message of the cross believe this, Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, the Lord is sovereign over all our labors, all our plans, all our purposes. And confessing this with our lips is an opportunity to kill self-sufficiency and lean on Him as we labor in love. James says it like this, James 4, 13-16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes so when the weather is is cold and you blow out your breath you see mist don't you how long does that stay it's gone That's the perspective we ought to have concerning our lives. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Number three. Here's a third way a congregation can abound in the work of the Lord. Because of their love for him. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. Look at verses 8 to 9. Paul says he hopes to eventually get to Corinth, but he says this, but I will stay in Ephesus, that's where he's writing this letter from, I will stay until Pentecost. This was the Jewish feast of weeks, 50 days after Passover, around springtime. It's also the birthday of the New Covenant Church. We know from the book of Acts, chapter 19, that he stayed in Ephesus for about two and a half years. Paul says, I will remain there for now, and here's why. He says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Think about that. See, God in his providence has opened a wide door, he says, an open door. You know, this was Paul's third missionary journey. He spent two and a half years in Ephesus preaching and teaching the gospel, but not without problems. Paul faced significant opposition from both Jews and Greeks. They even tried to incite a riot while he was there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, there Paul speaks of fighting beastly people at Ephesus. In doing this work, Paul was demonstrating the love of Christ to lost sinners at Ephesus. Remember what he said in chapter 10, verse 33, In everything I do, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Why is that? Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because love is not self-seeking, but rejoices with the truth. See, Paul positioned himself strategically in Ephesus because he saw an opportunity to share the gospel. Friends, this is how Christians ought to think. Where can I live? Where can I find a good, healthy church? Where can I live that will enable me to share the gospel with many people? Of course, you can share the gospel anywhere, What would be the most strategic place? Friends, here's what I want you to see and understand. You see, charismatic, wacky theology has done people a great disservice by teaching people, look for open doors, meaning if something you want providentially opens up, then walk through it. Lay hold of that opportunity. All will go well with you. That's not how Paul thinks about wide-open doors. In Paul's mind, an open door is a providential opportunity that aligns itself with the written commands of God. God's word commands us, every believer, to share the gospel and make disciples, even if there are many adversaries. So if there's problems, Don't look at it as a closed door, as something you should not do. No, do it. It's the Lord's will for you. Even if there are many adversaries and you will suffer opposition and heartache, that's the labor of love that God has called each one of us to. Love is costly. Love is costly. Number four, here's a fourth way a congregation can abound in the work of the Lord because of their love for the Lord. Be hospitable to those who labor in the Lord so that they can do their work with joy. Be hospitable to those who labor in the Lord so that they can do their work with joy. Look at verses 10 to 11. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Now, as I mentioned before, the reason Paul was sending Timothy to Corinth was to reinforce the things that he says in this letter. You see that in 1 Corinthians 4.17. He was sending Timothy as his apostolic representative to admonish them, to help them put off cultural thinking and put on the mind of Christ so that they could grow in love and holiness and unity. And he tells them, put him at ease among you, be hospitable. Don't give him a reason To be fearful or worried because he's doing what is right. He's doing the Lord's work. He has my seal of approval. See, Paul trusted in his disciple Timothy to get the work done. He says of Timothy in Philippians 2.20.21, He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. In other words, he will genuinely love you and shepherd you well. And then he says this verse 11, so let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. Paul says this because he was anticipating that Timothy would face some pushback, not simply because of his teaching, but because he was Paul's representative. So Paul directly charges them not to reject him, don't view him with contempt. Beloved, as as members in a congregation, God has called us to make the work of our leaders not a burden, but a joy. Think about what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, one of the ways you can abound in this work, to love and care for your leaders, your pastors, is to not only extend to them the kindness that the Lord himself has extended to you, but to also recognize that they're doing the work of the Lord in ministering his word to you. So love your shepherds. Don't just treat them as paid employees, but as family, as brothers in Christ love them pray for them be hospitable to them and grow in this grace number five be watchful and courageous as you pursue the obedience of faith and unity be watchful and courageous as you pursue the obedience of faith and unity look at verses 12 to 14. now concerning our brother apollos i strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Now if you remember, there were some in this church who were saying, I am of Apollos. You remember that? And in Acts 18 verse 24, we are told that Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. When he first began to preach, we are told that Aquila and Priscilla encouraged him by explaining the way of God more accurately to him. He was a new preacher, and after he was done, they had a service review. They gave him some feedback, helpful feedback, and he improved. Even though Paul knew that there were factions that were formed around the name of Apollos, he knew that immature Christians had done this, he nevertheless urges Apollos to go to Corinth. But it says that Apollos didn't want to go. The text says Paul strongly urged him, meaning he urged him several times. Now think about that. Paul was not territorial. He wasn't saying, no, this is my church, don't go there. No, he recognized that the church belonged to God. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labors. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now we don't know why Apollos did not want to go, given the wonderful fellowship he shared with Paul. Perhaps he was grieved and displeased with the Corinthians. Perhaps he thought his presence would only reinforce those divisions. Perhaps he thought Timothy's intervention would suffice. Perhaps he was engaged with some other work. We don't know. Uh, Either way, Apollos didn't think it was the right time to go to Corinth. Now I'm inclined to think that he didn't want to go because the Corinthians were specifically asking for him to come and maybe for the wrong reasons. Remember how this, this passage begins? This verse starts with, now concerning. That means they were asking. They were asking about him and Apollos, I think for the sake of promoting unity through Timothy's teaching, decided that maybe this is not the best time to go there. Let Timothy do his work. Remember that this was a congregation that was easily impressed with all the wrong things. And so Paul exhorts them, look at verse 13, be watchful. What does that mean? It means to be alert, to be sober-minded. What did the Corinthians need to be watchful about? Well, they needed to be on guard concerning their tendency To be influenced by whatever was familiar or impressive in their culture. They needed to to beware of bad theology and bad company. Stand firm in the faith, he says. Abandon cultural thinking and trust in the gospel alone. Trust in the word. Put on the mind of Christ. Do this. Persevere in this. Or you won't be empowered to love like Jesus did. You won't be able to glorify him. But if you stand firm... If you do this, the world will call you a fool. And you will face the everyday pressures of giving in to what is easy or familiar. The pressures of cultural thinking. So what should you do? What should you do in the face of cultural pressures? Paul says, act like men. Be strong. Don't you just love that? This phrase, act like men basically means be courageous play the man that's why it's translated as act like men so it's a call to courage and it applies to both men and women it is a call to courage especially when obedience to the word is hard in a world that, is, that stands opposed to the values of the cross man up he says be courageous be mature in your thinking fight the good fight of faith you know combined with this exhortation to be strong Paul is telling the Corinthians what God in the Old Testament told his people under challenging circumstances. You remember? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. God says this several times in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying, play the man. Be bold in your obedience. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Paul seems to be saying that if you're trusting in the cross... If Christ-like love is your driving motivation, then you will know its transforming power as you labor. So let all that you do be done in Christ-like love. Paul says in Romans 13, O oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Beloved, if we are going to be watchful like Paul wants us to be, then we must have intentional conversations about why we do the things we do. We must talk about our desires, our values, our motives that inform our habits, our choices, and our actions. We must identify cultural patterns of thinking that hinder obedience and pursue the wisdom of the word. Work hard at this. Work hard at this and you will see the beauty of gospel unity shine in our congregation. Number six, honor and submit to those who serve the body. Honor and submit to those who serve the body. This too is a labor of love. Look at verses 15 to 18. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Paul says that the household or the entire family of Stephanus were the first to come to faith when Paul first arrived in Corinth, when he preached the gospel there. They had been baptized and discipled by Paul and they had been faithfully laboring in love and serving that congregation. The text says they were devoted. And Paul says, be subject to them, submit to their wise and humble and faithful leadership because their love was evident in their service. And not just them, but to such as these, he says. To others like them, to every fellow worker and laborer. Friends, once again we see that Christian love produced by the resurrection power of the Spirit is made visible in the life of a congregation. This is the identity marker of the church. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty-five: by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that's When you go to a congregation, you shouldn't see like a warm, fuzzy love cloud floating around. No, you should see acts of faithful service, loving service. It's tangible. You know, this family, the household of Stephanus, not only served the congregation, the Corinthian congregation, but some of them even delivered this letter, the Corinthians' letter to Paul, the one that went ahead because of which he responds by writing 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 17. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. Paul says, when I spend time with these guys, it's like I've spent time with all of you. You know, they carry the spirit of that church with them. And here's the reason why. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. See, these men not only served out of a love for Christ and his church while they were at home at Corinth, this was their way of life. This is, how, this is what they did everywhere they went. And so when they met Paul, they ministered to him in such a way that he was encouraged. They were, he was refreshed in his spirit, the text says. Beloved, does this characterize you and your ministry? Are you a joy to be around? Irrespective of where you are, do you remind others of the truths of the gospel? Are you able to apply them well so that people rejoice at your coming? Paul says, give recognition to such people, honor them, esteem them, value their ministry, for it is the grace of God at work in them and through them. You know, if you have been encouraged this week by a brother or sister who ministered to you, go and thank them. Let them know how much they mean to you And give thanks to the Lord for them. And as Pastor Sam and his family enjoys this time of rest, don't just pray for him. Go and meet him and find out ways that you can serve him. And, And thank the Lord for his ministry. Find out ways that you can meaningfully minister to them and refresh his spirit. This is a very practical way of applying these truths in our own congregation. And then finally, number seven. Abound in this loving work also. Number seven, be affectionate towards one another as you labor together and wait for the Lord's return. Be affectionate towards one another as you labor together, as you wait for the Lord's return. This is how Paul closes this letter. Look at verses 19 to 24. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Now, to greet someone is to engage in a hospitable recognition of someone. And in this case, believers from Asia through Paul, were sending their greetings to the congregation at Corinth. Friends, this speaks of the profound gospel unity churches had among themselves as early as the first century. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty, meaning much, greetings on the Lord, he says. This was a well-known couple to many, but especially to the Corinthians. They were also partners with Paul in his ministry. And they were a family of considerable means. And this is how they used their resources to bless the church. Look at the text. The church met in their home. Which tells you that it might have been a large home. Theirs was a marriage lived to the glory of God. Lived to the glory of God in a world that was passing away. It was very clear what their priorities were. It was clear by their loving labors what they really loved. And where they had put their hope. Verse 20, all the brothers, now these are not names, so we don't know who they are. All the brothers send you greetings. Friends, what is clear from these closing lines is that despite the distances, churches thought it necessary to acknowledge and pray and greet one another in Christ. You know, this is why we pray for other churches here at Grace Church in the pastoral prayer. We don't just pray for them, we reach out to them ask them specifically how we can pray for them, and then pray for them. them. These churches knew that they had like-minded brothers and sisters in other places engaged in the same labor that they were. And they made their affection known through greetings in letters. You know, in our day and age, we have faster modes of communication. But I wonder, I wonder whether we communicate our affection to like-minded churches sufficiently and regularly. Surely, this is a grace that we can grow in, and a work that we can abound in. But that's not all. Our affection for one another ought to be visible even in our own congregation. Look at the text. Paul says to the Corinthians, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, the holy kiss, sometimes called the kiss of peace, was a form of greeting. Uh, This was not erotic or hypocritical like Judas' kiss, or inappropriate in any way. But as the text says, it was holy, respectful, appropriate to the relationship between saints. It was a a sign of endearment. We don't know how they did it, but it, it was a sign of endearment, a way of demonstrating that these were brothers and sisters gathered together in worship of a holy God. Now, however, men express their affection towards men or women express their affection towards women, this passage should be read in conjunction with what Paul writes in 1st Timothy 5, 1 to 2. So here's what he says in 1st Timothy 5, 1 to 2. Older Christian men are to be treated as what? Fathers. Older women as mothers, younger men as brothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. So whatever this act of endearment looked like, it was a visible demonstration that Christ-like love, pure and holy, had broken down the walls of division between rich and poor, master and slave, Jew and Gentile. Friends, the point is that the holy kiss signified acceptance and belonging. Brothers, there needs to be something of a family affection between us. Whether that is expressed through a hug or weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, this sort of tender affection is expressed in the words of 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Or Romans twelve ten, Love one another with a brotherly affection. So women, open your hearts to other sisters in Christ. Men, you know, you have to do a little more than just bump your fists. Open your hearts to other brothers in Christ. Share your fears, your struggles, your frustrations with one another. Minister to one another with the very affection of Christ himself. You know, someone who spends time with you should walk away feeling, I spent time with Jesus. Because you had ministered the word to him, the word of Christ. He should know that affection. And then Paul closes his letter with these words. Verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So Sosthenes, whom he mentions in verse 1 of chapter 1, had probably written this down as Paul dictated the letter. And this was Paul's way of saying, this is really from me. So he signs it off with his own handwriting. And then he ends with this warning. And friends, if you look at this warning, this sort of summarizes the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be damned, eternally condemned. Now that's not impulsive or harsh considering considering the entire letter. What he's saying is this. If you continue to look to cultural wisdom and insist on following it instead of the wisdom of the cross, instead of the word of Christ, then you really don't love the crucified Savior. And that should trouble you greatly because it is this Lord who rose and is coming back. And so he says, Maranatha, which is translated, our Lord come." this Jesus who died and rose again is coming to judge the living and the dead. So if you're not a Christian, let me ask you, do you know his saving love? Let me urge you as, as Paul would, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. God has already judged the wisdom of the world and this world will pass away. So turn to Christ and you will be forgiven of your sins and you will come to experience his saving love. And as for us who believe, what should we do in the meantime? What should sustain us as we labor in love and wait? Well, friends, it's nothing other than the grace of the gospel that we need. Look at verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. See, this is the only letter of Paul that he ends in this way, saying, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. See, when brothers and sisters know nothing among themselves but Christ and Him crucified, then when a brother loves me or a sister loves me, I get to experience the love of Christ through them. This is why God designed the local church so that His love might be felt, might be experienced by His people through others as they labor and minister in love. This is why we ought to boast only in the cross of Christ, where we see the love of God in Christ on full display. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of eternal life that you have given to us in this letter. May these words take deep root in our hearts and transform us into loving disciples who are bold in the face of all cultural opposition and pressures. Lord, in light of the gospel, help us view our greatest gain in this life as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, compared to the surpassing weight of glory that awaits us. Lord, we love you. Maranatha, in Jesus' name.